welcome to another episode of A Sucker for Soccer. I'm Ryan Gideo. Well, what a week it was in the world of soccer, specifically the Champions League. Two outrageous semifinal second leg matchups to cover. But before we get to that, we got to cover the weekend that was in the Premier League. So we'll start, of course, in England with Liverpool taking on Newcastle. Now, for Liverpool, you can say this matchup in their next one against Tottenham is the toughest stretch for them uh, for the remainder of their season in order to keep up with Manchester City. So it's this one and, and Tottenham where they cannot afford to drop points because you see the last three after the Tottenham game this weekend, it's at Villa. And by the way, I, I am 100% positive that Steven Gerrard and Philip Coutinho will do their old club a favor by, not, I'm not going to say purposely lose that game, but you know what I mean. Uh, then Southampton and Wolves, and again, those should be wins, um, especially uh, the last day against Wolves. That might be tough, but again, they're at Anfield, so they should be fine. But yeah, Newcastle, again, a team that's in great form at the moment, but as I've said, since their takeover, really, and their form since then, the one thing that's that they failed to do is really... Uh, try and beat uh, the bigger clubs, you know, the likes of City, Liverpool, Chelsea, and even Man United. So they have struggled a bit against them, although they, I think they did beat United, so maybe not including them. But you know what I mean, kind of the big three at the moment. Uh, and, you know, they put in a good performance, but again, Liverpool just have more quality and more experience at this point. And they win it 1-0, and it was all thanks to Nabi Keita in the 19th minute. Uh, Newcastle's defense inside their own box was really all over the place. Jota eased his way through, squared it to Keita, rounded the keeper, and slotted it in. And that was really the decisive goal. And after that, I mean, uh, they could have been more, honestly, for Liverpool. Salah, Jota, each firing at Dubrovka, but he had to make saves and almost instantaneously that time. Really, the only big chance for Newcastle was laid on with Bruno Guimaraes. Uh, Allison made a great save, though, to deny him. And with that, Liverpool keep up with Manchester City, or for the moment, they went top of the table. But that only lasted, again, a few hours. So, uh, And for Newcastle, their four-game winning streak comes to an end. And I believe they are now, again, it's amazing how they're still in the top ten. All right, they, they've somehow just made their way up into the top 10. It's absolutely crazy. Uh, they are in 10th right now, so they could still finish in the bottom half, but again, what a resurgence it's been under Eddie Howe, and of course, a lot of new players. So then going on to Aston Villa against Norwich, and it is now confirmed the Canaries once again soared down to the championship, and also... In the championship, Fulham, uh, over this past week, have officially clinched promotion to the Premier League. So, again, it is really amazing how it's they, the, both these clubs keep yo-yoing between the first and second tier of England. Uh, I, 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 it's just such a weird coincidence, isn't it, that this, this keeps happening. But anyways, in this game, North losing 2-0 to Aston Villa. And again, both goals coming late in each of the halves, starting in the 41st minute, so a few minutes before the break. Just the long ball from Ings over the top to Ollie Watkins, uh, who headed it past Williams, and then Brandon Williams catching up with him, and then appeared to slip. I don't know if it was because Watkins made some contact with him or whatever, but it looked like Watkins gave a little bit of a nudge, but uh, obviously that's not going to be called a foul. Loses control of his footing. Watkins the wrong goal. Slots it away. 
So uh, Watkins kind of bullying through Brandon Williams that time. Sure, Manchester United fans not pleased to see that, especially if they recall him from loan, though. Uh, they should probably sell him at this point, and, you know, with the new regime. Anyways, uh, then the second comes around, you know, late on in the game. Danny Ings just finishing it off, 93rd minutes. Again, not much happening in between then. Uh, Norwich were lifeless and, again, looked like a team that were ready to go down. So, against uh, for Dean Smith, of course, it's against his former club. So, his former club end up relegating him. So, that's got to add uh, insult to injury big time. But it was inevitable. We, I think everyone knew, even at the beginning of the season, that Norwich were going to go down. I bet about 90% of people, maybe 85, had them not just being relegated, but dead last. I, again, I'm, I'm going to reference the, uh, the league I'm in with the prediction table with a few of my friends. And every, okay, all but one person, and that's uh, Ahmad Rizvi, so shout out to him if he's listening, and... I'm sorry, Nicolas, if he's listening, he's the only person that did not put Norwich City in dead last. Now, in fairness, he, they, Nicolas had Norwich in 19th. But, again, that was, uh, that was pretty much sealed anyways. So, sorry, Norwich. Enjoy another year in the championship. Then back to the Premier League, back down the championship. So on and so forth. Next, we got Southampton against Crystal Palace. Again, this is kind of a mid-table clash. Doesn't mean much, but uh, this is a great come-from-behind win for the Eagles as they win two to one. Uh, they concede early on. Uh, James Ward-Prowse again setting up another goal off a set piece. It's just what he does. Corners, free kicks, doesn't matter. He's gonna either score or assist. It's again, it's inevitable, and he does just that. Finds Romeo at the back post. Romeo heads it home. Southampton lead. Not even ten minutes in, but then uh, Palace bounce back. In the second half, Eberechi Eze scoring as uh, Nathaniel Klein picked him out. Wide open in the area, kind of racing into the box and just smashing it through uh, the goalkeeper, Fraser Forster's legs to level it up. And great moment for Eze as well. That was his first league goal of the season. And, you know, with all the injury problems that he's had, of course, uh, last season is end up cutting short due to injury. You know, he recovers in time to finish off this season. So, what a great moment for him to, to score in the Premier League this season. And helps spark a comeback because then you go to the 92nd minute. And Wilfred Zaha, I don't, he was heavily guarded. You know, right in the edge of the box. Turned, stuck it into the left bottom corner, aided by the inside of the post. But the amount, I don't know how he got that shot through. I mean, there were about one or two Southampton players just draped all over him. Snuck it through them, snuck it past Forster, and Palace with a great come from behind win, and you know up to 12th in the table again. They'll finish in the mid table. I think it's a very successful season, successful first season for Patrick Vieira and Palace, and of course making it to an FA Cup semifinal is a great achievement as well. Now speaking of comebacks, and this one is far more important in the Premier League. Let's talk about Watford against Burnley. So we go to the bottom of the table. You know, both teams, this is really a six-pointer for both sides. Burnley on some excellent form at the moment. And it continues with a comeback win against the Hornets at Vicarage Road. They win it 2-1. to one, And that is an ultimate collapse for the Hornets. Uh, they should have held on for 80 minutes, 83 minutes they had the lead. And then six minutes after that, they lost it. 
Started off great, though, you know, eight minutes in. Uh, I think it was off a set piece, slipped into the far post, or fell to Yuri Kuchka, completely unmarked. Fires it in off the underside of the bar. Now, they ruled it an own goal by Tarkowski, even though when I saw it back, first off, the shot was on target anyways. Secondly, you know, Tarkowski barely made any contact with it, so I, I would just give the goal to Kutcher, but hey, it is what it is. But that seemed to spark something for Burnley, and, you know, for Watford, I, I felt like they were just a bit too... They, they sat too back a bit much uh, in this game because... And again, you really shouldn't do that when you're facing even competition. I understand it if Watford, you know, is taking the lead against someone like Liverpool or, or Chelsea and you go up early, then I understand why you sit back and then just hit them on the counter. But why not take the game more to a team that is of equal talent to you in Burnley and go from there? And they failed to do that. So I think that was poor planning on uh, Roy Hodgson's part and, of course, the players themselves because Burnley just worked their way back into the game. And, you know, the two goals they scored late on were coming. They absolutely were. Because, um, again, Burnley or Watford didn't offer anything after that goal. In the second half, Burnley took more and more advantage of that. Uh, Ashley Barnes came close as well. It was an outstanding save by Ben Foster to tip it onto the bar. But then, you know, the dam breaks and... They can see two just like that. Uh, the first one was a great diving header by Jack Cork uh, with Charlie Taylor. Great delivery from the far side. And then three minutes later, just a bit of a mess. It was off a free kick. Watford failed to clear their lines. Uh, I think they can only clear it. They couldn't even clear it you know, 30, from 30 yards out. Or two 30 yards out, I should say. Because then it was headed back in. Uh, Vidra lays it off for Josh Brownhill. One time's a beauty. Right past Ben Foster. And Burnley complete a just a wonderful comeback on the road in a massive relegation battle. So with that win, they now go two points clear of relegation. They are now level on points with Leeds United. They actually have a better goal difference for them. So it's looking good for Burnley because they at least know that Leeds, even if Everton wins their game in hand, they at least know that Leeds is... Uh, behind them on goal difference. And now for Watford, uh, it really isn't looking good for them. Watford have to win out. They have to win out because there is a 12-point gap between Watford and then you have Leeds and Burnley. So they have to win every single game and hope that either Burnley or Leeds loses their next four games, or their final four games, I should say. And then, of course, that's going to come down to goal difference. Now, right now, Watford have uh, minus three worse goal differential than Leeds and a far worse goal differential than Burnley. So, Watford are just praying that Leeds just lose all four games. But it, it really is, at this point, going to take a miracle for Watford to survive. I think it is all but finished. And I'm just curious. I'm looking at the uh, prediction table again. I had Watford going down. Uh, who else had them going down? I think everyone but Jeff and Kyle didn't. So most people had Watford going down at various stages. It wasn't all like they were dead last or 19th. So, again, that you kind of saw it coming. They didn't make too much investment in the transfer window. And, you know, the, the whole deal was sacking the managers, which we don't have to go through because uh, that's pretty much ad nauseum at this point. Then we got another mid-table battle, or going back to the mid-table, uh, between Wolves and Brighton. 
And it was all Brighton in this one. A 3-0 win for the Seagulls on the road. Now, for Wolves, this is a team that's not used to conceding this many goals. Again, they've had one of the best defenses in the league this season. And this is only the second time in the Premier League this season that they've conceded three goals. They didn't even do that to the big six teams. And they're doing it to teams like Brighton. And the other team they did was actually Leeds. Now, of course, that was the Leeds side when they were uh, when they had Bielsen, of course, when they were really scoring for fun. But it's really crazy that it's only twice they've conceded uh, more than two goals. So, again, that just shows how stout their defense is. But this is by far their biggest loss of the season. And one, again, that could be costly because they're still in the race for you know that seventh place last European spot, which is the Conference League, uh, behind West Ham. So... And, of course, we'll get to West Ham's game where they lost to Arsenal. So, you know, missed opportunity for both teams. Or missed opportunity for West Ham. Missed opportunity for Wolves. It's a level with them. So, uh, yeah, just an overall pretty bad performance. Uh, they conceded a penalty a few minutes from the break. Alex McAllister slots away for 1-0. 70th minute comes around, and Leandro Trossard absolutely cooked Moutinho in the, on the right side of the box. Just cut by him. Slotted it away. Great goal from Trossardi. And arguably Brighton's best player this season. And then Yves Basuma with another goal from outside the area. Drives it in low right into the left bottom corner. Another fabulous strike for Basuma. And easy day at the office for Brighton. But again, doesn't really matter. I mean, Brighton go back into the top half. Uh, they're, again, they're nine points off West Ham. So, yeah. And the big goal difference. So, they're out of... European contention. But for Wolves, that's certainly a dent in their hopes. So now we go back to the title race. Liverpool winning puts all the pressure once again on Manchester City as they take on Leeds United at Ellen Road. But they stayed cool, calm, collected, and absolutely plowed through them. No contest. And I know Leeds played them really well last season. I believe they beat them. No, they drew and won against them. But this time around, Jesse Marsh couldn't work that magic. Uh, they lose 4-0. Absolute destruction. And interesting with the, the four goals. I mean, the first two coming from set pieces. Again, City aren't known for scoring off set pieces. Again, that's kind of just one dimension of what is multiple dimensions of their attack. But, hey, they get it done that way. And, of course, they won't complain. So their first half goal coming in the 13th minute, Phil Foden. Just beautiful delivery from the uh, from the near side on a free kick. Rodri heads it home. Easy 1-0. Then, in the uh, 54th day, so you go to the second half, corner comes in, and Ruben Diaz initially connects with it, and it's headed forward to Nathan Ake, who is just a few yards from goal, sweeps it in to double the city lead. And then after that, uh, again, the Leeds United defense just tore right apart. Uh, 70th, I think this is their best goal, honestly. Uh, with It started off with... Ederson swerving it all the way out to Cancelo. Cancelo does a chest pass to Phil Foden, races through in the midfield, and then picks out a wide-open Gabriel Jesus in the box. He finishes, and yeah, just a, just a great goal for Man City. Goalkeeper to striker. A couple of players in between. So I'd say that was, what, route three, since there were three passes? I don't know. Anyways, 3-0, uh, and then Fernandino finishes it off. Uh, with another great strike from outside the box. Again, drills it low and drills it true. 
Another great day at the office for Man City. I, I get, at least in the Premier League, we got to their Champions League escapades. But in the Premier League, this team is just unstoppable unless they're facing Spurs or Crystal Palace. But besides that, they're pretty much unstoppable. But again, three matches to go, or excuse me, four matches to go. And again, it still really is a toss-up between who's going to finish top. I'll, I'll talk about uh, the tile race in a little bit, in, in a little more depth. So then we go to the uh, Sunday games, and you have Everton beating Chelsea 1-0. A massive, massive win for Everton, with Burnley winning on the weekend, or the day before. It was really a must-win, honestly, for Everton. I know they have easier opponents, somewhat easier opponents after this, but I mean, really, if they had lost to Chelsea, I mean, that would have been a very deep hole to come out of. But again... Only two points off in a game in hand, so it was one they really needed. And I think it's interesting, of course, Frank Lampard playing against his old club, of course, player and manager. So I think Chelsea may have did, did him a little bit of a favor. Okay, not really. Chelsea, of course, were, were trying to win, even though, again, in the Premier League, they do not have anything to play for at this point. So going to the game itself, now, honestly, Chelsea were... Arguably the better side in this game. Not arguably. I mean, out-possessed them. Out-shot them 17-9. Yeah, they had nearly 80% possession. So, we knew that Everton were going to get sit back and go on the counter. Now, they didn't do as egregious uh, a performance defensively as uh, against Liverpool. Because that was just ridiculous. At least they... Because they they had to attack more. Because, obviously, it was they were more desperate. They needed points more. And, you know, you have a little bit easier of a time against Chelsea. But, still, Chelsea were the, the better side. Um, and the winning goal coming not even a minute into the second half. So, the fans at Goodison Park barely getting back into their seats. Cesar Aspilicueta trying to pass it out from the back. His pass immediately blocked by Richarlison. It came to Demario Gray, who was racing him right behind him. Gray lays it back off for Richarlison. And then slots it away, and the Goodison Park faithful go berserk because they know how huge a goal that is. And really, that's all they needed was one defensive mistake by Chelsea. And, and this is a side, at least in the beginning of the season, last season, that barely made any. But as of late, there's been a lot of mental lapses defensively. And again, conceding all these goals is a big, that's a big reason why they've been conceding all these goals. That's exactly why. And you don't expect, you know, someone as experienced as Cesar Aspilicueta to do that. But, again, fair play to the two pressing forwards. And Richarlison and Gray for getting that done. Ends up being the difference. But the real man of the match is Jordan Pickford, who had an outstanding, outstanding game. He only had five saves, but one of them, or two of them, I should say, was just a fabulous double save. Um, it was just amazing. Really, right off the goal line from Aspilicueta. And then Rudiger on the follow from basically point blank, blank range. He denies him as well. I think that's the best double save of the season. It really is. That was outstanding from Jordan Pickford. He's, he's trying to prove why he should still be England's number one. Not like he's going to lose his place, of course. Gareth Southgate's not going to throw him under the bus after this season. Uh, but that just shows he still has some quality in him. And that that's absolutely outstanding. And there was a little bit of luck, too, because uh, there was one shot right before that where Mason Mount hit both posts. You know how hard that is to do? 
And Mason Mount managed to do just that. So, again, there was a bit of fortune from Everton in this game. But listen, they needed it, and they took advantage of it. The defensive mistake, they score. Pickford puts in a, a goalkeeping clinic. And they stay alive in trying to survive. Just about. So then we go to uh, Tottenham against Leicester. And, of course, Spurs... And Arsenal duking it out, as well as you can throw in Manchester United, but eh, maybe not, uh, for that last top four spot. And actually, at this point, if Arsenal, I believe if Arsenal, let's see, the maximum amount of points United can get is 63. So if Arsenal just need one more point in order to at least finish above Manchester United, and Tottenham need... Uh, Actually, no, Tottenham need yeah, Tottenham need three points in order to finish above Manchester United. So again, it, United's goose is pretty much cooked. They will be playing in the Europa League. But um again, barring a, a big collapse from Arsenal or Tottenham, but even then, I think they're gonna be playing as each other as well, so points are guaranteed. Anyways, we'll work that out when we get to the North London Derby. But again, Tottenham needed that win against Leicester, and they absolutely got it. It was the Harry Kane, Human Son, and Dejan Kulusevsky show a front three, front three that is rivaling Luis Diaz, Mane, and Salah. Or Salah, Mane, Jota, or whatever combination Liverpool have. But this one is really rocking at this rate. Uh, Harry Kane putting them in front in the 22nd minute. Right off a corner kick. And from guess who, of course, his partner in crime, Human Son. Kane heads it in easily for a 1-0. And then Kulisevsky sets up Son right on the hour mark in the box. Son, great turn. Easy finish. 2-0. And then the best of the lot and the best goal of the weekend is the third and final goal for Tottenham. Once again, off that magnificent boot of Hugmin Son. Curls it in right into the top left corner from about 20 yards out. It was just an absolute beauty from Son. And he's catching up to Mohamed Salah, by the way, in the golden boot race. It seemed like Salah was going to run away with it, especially at the, the halfway point of the season. But now Son is catching up. I think he's only three goals behind him. And Cristiano Ronaldo is there, too. And, you know, we'll get to him in a little bit. But, yeah, he's catching up now. I believe he has he's 17 goals or something like that. Yeah, he's 19. So, yeah, he's three behind Salah. Ronaldo is there with 18. So, eh, you never know. But, again, Liverpool should finish off the season strong. So, I think he should still win the uh, the golden boot. Uh, and then back to this one. Leicester get one back through. And Nacho, but by then it was too late. Again, massive win for Tottenham. Top four hopes still very well alive. But they could take a dent this weekend against Liverpool. Speaking of the top four race, another... Big clash in that between Arsenal and West Ham United. They saw Tottenham winning, or maybe they didn't see it. The fans certainly did. So they needed to match that and win this game against West Ham, and they did just that. Because a draw or loss actually would have put Spurs back into the top four spot, but they get the job done. A 2-1 win for the Gunners against West Ham, and uh, it, it's... I don't want to say it's undeserved. I think West Ham, we we played well in this game. I think we deserved a bit more. We did rotate a few players because of the, the Europa League matchup against Frankfurt. Uh, but 
is just set pieces. That's what it came down to. Both of the both of the Gunners' goals come down to that. Rob Holding uh, heads home Saka's corner in the 38th minute. Great response though for the Hammers right on the stroke of halftime. Vladimir Sofal whipping it into Jared Bowden, who collects brilliantly, turns to finish. And he just stays on fire. Uh, it was at 15 goals, 9 assists this season. All competitions. I mean, he's just... He's killing it. He's on fire. He has 10 goals in the Premier League. But I believe 15 overall. He's just been magnificent. Really has. But the Gunners took back the lead. Just about 10 minutes into the second half. Of yet another corner kick. This time it was Gabriel Martinelli. Whips it in. Gabriel completely unmarked to the back post. Diving header. And I'm surprised, too, because, you know, we're usually, West Ham is usually better at defending set pieces. We know they can score from them, but they can really defend set pieces pretty well, too. But uh, that wasn't to be the case in this one. But the main controversial talking point that I had a, a problem with was there was an incident, I think it was at 1-1, it was sometime in the second half, where Bowen was going to go through on goal, it looked like, and Aaron Ramsdale races out, to try and beat him to the ball. Now, while he does get to the ball, he almost clatters into to Jared Bowen. Bowen had to leap out of the way to not make any contact with Ramsdale and potentially get his leg broken. And yet, the referee gives Bowen a yellow card for diving. Really? It just doesn't make any sense. You go back to the other Arsenal-West Ham game, same exact incident happens where Sofal doesn't touch uh, whoever he was, he was attempting to go after the ball, one of the Arsenal players, doesn't even touch him. But the fact that his challenge was so reckless was why he got sent off. So wouldn't that apply to this case as well? Because that was a reckless slide by Aaron Ramsdale. Studs were up, and it could have easily clattered into Bowen and broke his legs. So I, I just do not get that. I know the referee is inconsistent in the Premier League, and in really every single league. But that was ridiculous. That really was. That should have been at least a yellow card for Ramsdale for, for reckless challenge. Because it really was. But no, nothing happens. Instead, Bowen gets the yellow for trying to avoid getting his leg broken. Great logic. Great logic in the Premier League. Thanks, Mike Dean. I really appreciate it. Not going to miss you when, you when you retire at the end of the season. That's for sure. But anyways, not much happened after that for West Ham. Um, in fairness, you know, we didn't threaten that much significantly after that goal kind of deflated us and, uh, big win for Arsenal again, keeping up with Spurs in the top four race for West Ham. Meanwhile, did their gamble pay off in resting a few of their key players for the Europa League? Unfortunately, it did not, uh, losing one nil to Frankfurt. In the second leg, they lose 3-1. So Frankfurt onto the Europa League final against Rangers, by the way. Talk about a great run for them. for the uh, So we've prevented an all-UK final. But then again, Rangers prevents an all-German final because they beat Leipzig. But back to West Ham. I I, I hate to blame a significant, uh, just one player for pretty much costing us a spot in the Europa League final. But Aaron Cresswell, what are you doing? Guys threw on goal. It was a long ball over the top. He pretty much wrestled uh, the Frankfurt attacker down right outside the box. It was initially given a yellow card. You look back at it, and you, you can't argue with the decision. It is a straight red card for Cresswell. It prevents him from denying a goal-scoring opportunity. So that was just stupid from Aaron Cresswell. 
And again, that's not the first time he's been sent off. He got sent off in the quarterfinals of the Europa League. Now, albeit that wasn't really justified. This one definitely was. I'm not arguing that. But you just got to know better. And, you know, after that, just a few minutes after that, uh, Frankfurt score. It's certainly due to the man advantage. And as soon as that went in, it's like, I mean, it's over. Yeah, it's over. I mean, you can't get two goals back when you're when you're down a man. You can't. Well, if you get one goal back when you're down a man, that's more realistic. But two, that's pushing it. So our our magical run in Europe comes to an end. Uh, you know, despite not making the final, really proud of the run. Uh, it was just a really fun time, you know, knocking off the best ever team in the Europa League in Sevilla, beating a, a French powerhouse in Lyon. And, you know, playing pretty well against Frankfurt, all things considered, have been really good in Germany. But I would have fancied us against Rangers had we made the final. But, again, it is what it is. And hopefully we get into Europe League. Hopefully we just get into Europe. Because at this point, it looks like we're finishing in a Conference League spot. We might not even get into the uh, fifth and sixth place Europa League spots. Uh, it's still possible, but I, I just want Europe at some level next season i really don't want to finish in eighth because that was a lot of fun and uh you know even if it is in the conference league next season i'm still going to be looking forward to it speaking of that by the way leicester city got knocked up by roma in the conference league semifinals so the roma with jose Mourinho, will be playing against Feyenoord. so Mourinho has a chance to be the first ever manager to win the champions league europa league and the conference league and of course the conference league in its inaugural season so that'd be pretty cool but uh Anyways, moving on to the final game of the weekend. It was on a Monday. It was Manchester United against Brentford. A 3-0 win for United. Uh, again, their top four hopes are almost gone. I mean, pretty much. Uh, hanging on by a thread, but still looking to finish as good as they can. And uh, again, great, easy win over Brentford, honestly. Bruno Fernandes, a much better performance than what we've seen in the past month or so. He puts them ahead just nine minutes in. And then, of course, you know, half an hour or an hour comes around. You can see the penalty. Ronaldo converts it. Get an 18th goal of the season. Even though it was a penalty, I mean, the fact that 37-year-old scoring 18 goals, I, that's as many as he scored, I believe, in 2007-08. And that was, his, I believe, his best season in the Premier League where he won, like, the Player of the Year and something like that. Um, that's still incredible at, at the age of 37, you have to say. Even even the biggest haters have to have to appreciate that. And then Rafael Varane finishes it off in the 72nd minute. Uh, deflected his first ever Premier League goal for Manchester United. So congrats to him. So that ends a, a three-match winless streak. And uh, yeah, just about keeps their top four ropes. Still just barely, 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 barely live. But at this point, it's looking like a Europa League spot for United. So just a couple of news items before we get to the main stage of the Champions League. We'll talk about two contract extensions that happened. One actually came out the day uh, that I released last week's episode, so on that Friday. And again, I recorded on Fridays because, one, I know pretty much no games are going on. And two, you know, not a lot of breaking news comes out. If it, if it does, I usually cover it. So I forgot to cover this one, but Jurgen Klopp will stay at Liverpool uh, he's extended his contract for two years, so he goes to 2026, 20, and I mean, you, you can't really complain about that. It's a no-brainer. Uh, they they could very well win the quadruple this season. There's still hope for that, 
FA Cup final, Champions League final, and still in the title race, neck and neck with City. So, again, that would be one of the greatest accomplishments a manager has ever, ever done. Not only in England, but really across Europe. So, again, no brainer to extend him. This one's interesting, though. Mikel Arteta, and this came out just today, a few hours ago. He has signed a new three-year contract. So he's extended through the 2024-25 season. So even if Arsenal miss out on the top four, they're still putting their faith in Arteta. And again, you're looking at this season, even if you miss out on the Champions League, you have to be encouraged by what you're seeing. Great young talent, thriving in Saka, Smith-Rowe, Odegaard. Just got to get that striker in the summer. And again, top four is it was much more realistic possibility next season and be one of the favorites to, to enter in there. So, again, that's that's also a no-brainer decision. Amazing how M uh, Arteta goes from pretty much being on the verge of being sacked, or at least that's what the media s sounded like, you know, early on in the season, to now great chance of finishing in the top four and uh, get a nice little contract extension for your troubles. So, good for Arsenal. Again, easy decision to make there. So now... We move on to the big stage of the Champions League 2 outstanding semi-final second leg matchups. We'll start with the least dramatic of the two, although this one is very dramatic as well, in Villarreal against Liverpool. So entering this match, of course, Liverpool with a 2-0 win in the first leg. But you look through the first half, and Villarreal were on the precipice of what would have been a sensational, sensational comeback. And they already shocked Liverpool. Just three minutes in, Liverpool caught napping defensively. Great ball over the top on the far side to Etienne Capu. Looked like he was going to shoot on goal, but instead cut it back for Idea to slot it in and make it 1-0 to Villarreal. So already a great start for their comeback. Uh, Robertson has got to be more defensively aware. You know, Capu just getting there before him. And then again, you go to few minutes before the break. And Villarreal were, were really the better side against Liverpool throughout that whole first half, completely outplaying them. Some great chances. You know, Allison had to come off his line to, to get to a, a ball before. Uh, Gerard Moreno. And then, a few minutes before the halftime, Capu gets it again on this near side. And his first touch was a bit loose, but he recovered, worked his way back against Robertson, whipped it back in again. And then Francis Coquelin, the Arsenal reject, races in, heads it over Alexander-Arnold to make it 2-0. And by the way, yeah, questions have to be asked about Trent at that time. He did not even attempt to jump to contest with Coquelin. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense why he did that. Coquelin got there well before him, jumped high up. Trent didn't even try. And of course he's going to head that home, or at least get it on target. So, really poor defending from Alexander-Arnold. And again, we've talked about Agnosium. He needs to work on his defensive his def his defensive work uh, to, to be one of the best all-around fullbacks. Again, great attacking-wise. Bit of a liability sometimes defensively. So, halftime comes around. Villarreal are cruising right now. And they look like they're going to complete what would be just an incredible comeback against a very strong Liverpool side and make their first ever Champions League final. But instead, Jurgen Klopp must have said something at halftime in the locker room to rile up this Liverpool side because then they just turn it on the Jets. 
62nd minute comes around. Fabinho into the box for some reason, a place where he rarely ventures, has it more on that right side, and then just drills it in right through Geronimo Rulli's legs. And again, that's really on the goalkeeper, Rulli. And by the way, Rulli was at fault, honestly, for all three goals they conceded. Uh, that one he really should have kept out. I mean, that you're covering your near post, so you got to be able to save that. And this goes right through him. So Liverpool take back the lead in the tie, 3-2 on aggregate. And then, you know, a few minutes later comes around, five minutes exactly. So Alexander-Arnold does make up for his defensive mistake, uh, puts in a great ball into the area, and Luis Diaz is just wide open, great, uh, perfectly timed run. Header at point-blank range, sneaks right through Rulli's legs as well. Now, this time I can't blame him as much because you do not have a lot of time to react, but still... You, you should still do a little better since Diaz's header wasn't the best. It was down and right at him. But again, you, you didn't have enough time to react when, you know, the header was like just inches away from you. So I do understand that part is pretty tough to deal with. But Diaz, again, coming off the bench and delivering for Liverpool. I mean, that goal pretty much sealed it up. But then they added one more because why not? Sadio Mane making it 3-0. Or, excuse me, 3-2 in this game. 5-2. And the tie. And again, I don't know what Ruli is thinking because there's a ball sent through to Mane. Ruli meets him about 40 yards from goal. Mane beats him to the ball. I mean, Ruli completely misses. Then he just has one fourth to be. And of course, Mane easily rounds him, rolls it into an empty net. Game, set, and match. Again, you hate to blame it on one player, but Ruli really just a disaster class. That's probably one of the worst goalkeeping performances in the Champions League. Maybe since uh, Gianluigi Donnarumma in the second leg against Real Madrid or, you know, a couple months ago in the, in the round of 16. But no, I, maybe even as bad as the uh, the Carrius Champions League final. I think Carrius is still worse because, you know, that is in a Champions League final. And, you know, if he didn't concede both those goals, it would have been 1-1. So... This was, this was up there, though. I don't know. And it, it's sad because he, he was great, really, throughout this entire run. Again, against the likes of Juventus and Bayern Munich, he was heroic. Because in those matchups, you know, Villarreal didn't offer anything going forward, so they had to defend for most of the time. And overall, it's just a great run for Villarreal. They should not hang their heads in shame. Keep them up because, I mean, he made a lot of people proud. And I think uh, they've proven why, again, the, the European Super League is a bad idea because you get great runs like this one, like Ajax in 2018-19, like Monaco in 2016-17. You get these great runs from sides that are, that are underdogs, they don't spend that much, you know, and produce just a, a really a magnificent run in this competition. So, again, very proud of their performance. Really should be. So, as for Liverpool... They go to their third Champions League final in the past five years. And again, I think their experience in this competition showed. And of course, the talent level in that second half really showed as well. Helps with Ruiz, really three mistakes. And in the other semifinal, you could argue that experience played in a, a big factor as well. Because it is Real Madrid who go through to the Champions League final after what can only be described as... 
one of the all-time greatest comebacks in Champions League history. I know we say that all the time as late you know, with Liverpool, Barca, you know, Tottenham over Ajax, Liverpool over AC Milan, Roma over Barcelona. It's, I mean, it's just you could call a lot of those comebacks the greatest of all time. This one is is right up there. I think it's so unique because Manchester City were literally minutes away, minutes from making their second straight Champions League final. Would have squared off against Liverpool, you know, the, the great rivalry that's brewing up there to continue into the Champions League. And then just utterly collapsed. There, there is no explanation of how they did it. You run that simulation. You run the ending final few minutes, final 10 minutes even. You run that 100 times. You run it 500 times. Every single scenario, all but one, Man City come out on top. This is the one alternate universe where Manchester City completely bottled it. They did. They turned into Tottenham. Sorry, they just did. And you really can't blame Pep Guardiola for this one. You can't. I don't know why there's some people that want to be sacked, or at least people are saying that or people are saying he should be sacked. This was not on him whatsoever. The lineup was correct. Tactics were great because they outplayed Real Madrid for pretty much 85 minutes, held them to zero shots on target, and, of course, Riyad Mahrez scoring in the 73rd minute uh, with a great strike. Of course, the hero in last season's semifinal. This season scores in the semis as well. Great shot to the near post. He makes the right substitutions as well. Uh, De Bruyne comes off uh, for good one. De Bruyne didn't have a great game. Um, Kyle Walker had to come off. Uh, Zinchenko. And actually, that, that cost them, honestly, because Walker just couldn't play through. And, you know, late on, Zinchenko just couldn't keep up with their wingers and late on and an extra time. But that one, of course, you had to make the sub. Um, Mares coming off for Fernandinho in the 85th minute. Again, makes sense. You put on an extra defensive player, an defensive midfielder for an attacker. Makes sense to shut things down with a two-goal lead. The only questionable one you could say a little bit is uh, Grealish coming out for Jesus, but even then, again, Jesus wasn't that effective. Grealish, uh, Pep would have looked like a genius had Jack Grealish finished off what would have been the goal to 1,000% set ascend Manchester City to the Champions League final. Throw on goal, pretty much has an open goal, rounds the keeper, but it is miraculously cleared off the line by Frontline Mundy, and you have to give many props to it because that was just outrageous. So, but Grealish should be finishing that off. Pep would have looked like a genius, you know, seven Grealish on. But of course, he's going to get criticism because Grealish missed that chance. Even though it is not Pep's fault that Grealish missed that chance. Simple as that. So this is not on him. Uh, there was not much more he could do to prevent this, this from happening. But there seems to be a curse, not only on Pep Guardiola, but on Manchester City, the club itself. Maybe it's karma for the whole oil money situation, but, you know, Chelsea won the Champions League twice, so, you know, that's that doesn't apply. Uh, but apparently there's some there's some story that, you know, an African doctor placed a, a curse on Pep Guardiola because Pep treated Yaya Torre pretty badly. Uh, it kind of forced him out, even though, you know, Torre was pretty old. But, I you know, the more you see results like this, the more you see a city collapsing and failing constantly in this competition, the more you, th you start to realize, huh, Maybe that curse is real. Maybe it is. Because, there, again, there's no other explanation for how Manchester City can play almost the entire semifinal almost flawlessly, uh, in the entire second leg pretty much flawlessly, 
and then can see two goals like that, both to Rodrigo, of course, a super sub of Real Madrid's own, so of course, Ancelotti looks like a genius there. One he poked home, the other one he uh, he headed in a, a Carvajal cross, sends it into extra time. And by that point, Man- Manchester City are shell-shocked. There is no way back, even though it's level going into the, the final 30 minutes, you knew Real Madrid was going to come back. You knew they were going to score the next goal. You just knew it. Not even the best of pep talks from Pep Guardiola could have re-encouraged this Manchester City side, revitalized them, and kind of mentally get them back focused. There, there's no way that, that would have happened. And what do you know? Ruben Diaz takes up Benzema from behind, concedes a stonewall penalty. Benzema, as he has done all season, both in the Champions League and La Liga, stays cool, stays calm, stays collected, stays clutch, slots at home. Now, 10 goals in the knockout stage in one season. That ties Cristiano Ronaldo's record in 2016-17. Very good company, of course. And, you know, same team he was part of. But now he's the main character in this role, and he is he is having a hell of a season, you have to admit. And he, he is the clear frontrunner for the Ballon d'Or winner. Even if you lose the final, I think he's still the frontrunner at this point. Although maybe you could argue Salah since, you know, if, if Liverpool win it, since he'd be the top scorer of the Premier League and has done well in the Champions League. So really between Salah and Benzema at this point, Messi and Ronaldo are, are just out of the picture. For once. For once, both of them are out of the picture. Uh, which, which is, a, you know, even as a big Messi fan, it's, it is a welcome change. Get someone else in there. But, yeah. You knew it was going to happen. You just knew that Real Madrid were going to score an extra time. City, mentally, just all over the place. And now the question becomes, now you have to refocus on the Premier League. Got four games left, and you have to win every single game, pretty much, because Liverpool aren't dropping points anytime soon, even though they are facing Tottenham. Uh, Again, I don't know how you refocus, how you bounce back from that. I think when they play Newcastle, though, I think they're going to be in for a licking. I know Newcastle has been very good this season, or as of late, but I think City are going to come out with a vengeance and really take their anger and frustration out of Newcastle after such a devastating and heartbreaking loss in the Champions League. So that leads me to our just uh, quick fire predictions for this week in the Premier League. Two match days. Um, just to touch on it, we'll just touch on some of the marquee matchups, honestly. Um, not every single one. But yeah, City should beat Newcastle. Uh, Chelsea and Wolves, I could see that one ending in a draw. Uh, Brighton, Man United could be a draw as well. Liverpool, Tottenham, I think will be a draw. But again, mark on your calendars that game. That should be a great contest. Again, I think this is the biggest game that's left because it has implications, massive implications, on the title race and the top four race. Liverpool, again, they can't really afford to drop points unless City do the same. So... You know, a draw for them I, it will be really encouraging for City. Now, on the other hand, for Tottenham, you know, a, a lot they can't afford to lose this game, and you could honestly say they can't afford to draw it either because Arsenal would still be would still have a, a, a four point cushion since Arsenal should beat Leeds uh, the following day. They really should, so that would give them a nice cushion of four points if Spurs win this game or Spurs draw this game. Spurs win though, it's back down to two points. Spurs lose five points. And that's a great cushion for Arsenal to have, great insurance, heading into Thursday's North London Derby, which I also think 
Well, again, it depends on how Tottenham and Arsenal do on the weekend. But right now, I'm saying a draw because, again, so evenly matched. And I'm saying this one's going to be a draw as well because, again, this is super evenly matched. Both teams have great things to play for. And, uh, yeah, we'll see. And then uh, just some other matchups to talk on. Aston Villa against Liverpool. I think Liverpool will win. That's Tuesday. Stevie G will do his old club a favor. Uh, and then Leeds-Chelsea. I think Chelsea will win. Although Leeds will certainly be fighting against them since they need points and badly. Uh, Everton in a big six-point against Watford, I think, will win. And I think that, that loss will send Watford down if Watford, you know, against Palace wouldn't already have before then. And then Man City against Wolves. Again, I could see this being a draw, but I still see City winning it like a wild 1-0 scoreline. I think they'll do just enough to get the win there. But again, mark on your calendars. Liverpool, Tottenham, Saturday, 245. Tottenham, Arsenal, Thursday at 245 as well. Those should be two, the two biggest games that are left in the Premier League. So, so huge. And there should be some great contests. They better not be some more nil-nil draws like we saw last season. But anyways, that is going to do it for this episode. Again, we'll cover all the action in the Premier League for next week. Some great matchups, hopefully, to cover. So, once again, thank you so much for tuning in this week's episode, and I'll see you next time.